beautiful week or what that the Lord's blessed us with. Oh, yeah, I, I keep forgetting. All you kids who don't want to hear me and want to go to class, Miss Brenda's in the back to take you up there. And Miss Brenda, we're going to have a baptism. So whenever, uh, whenever we get ready to close, we'll, we'll send up for you to bring the, the kids down. Because there's somebody that wants to be baptized into Christ today. Amen. Praise God. That means it's not only been a beautiful week and today's a beautiful day, but it's a beautiful day in Christ Jesus. I can tell you something that's going to happen. I ain't a prophet, and I tell you all the time I'm not a prophet, but I do read the Word. And the Word says that whenever someone comes to the Lord, it says that any time that a sinner is saved by grace, it says that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven whenever one sinner comes into repentance into their life. Now... I always thought that meant that the angels were rejoicing. And I know that they are. But if you look real close, one day I was reading that, and you look real close, it said that there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Well, whose presence do they stand in? So guess who's rejoicing? God's rejoicing whenever that happens because somebody believed in His gift of his son that he sent to die for us and you have believed so he is rejoicing in his plan of that lamb of God before the foundation of the earth that that was the plan of salvation and you have believed and so he rejoices in that and I just want you to know that the water's ready I've got extra equipment in the back. I've got some clothes. I've got some towels. You won't have to leave wet. If you decide today if the word of God works upon your heart this day and you say I have never gave my life to Christ I have never done that and today's the day then when we sing that song and we get ready at the end of this to to have that baptism will you not join in and make that decision today because today is the day of salvation we're not promised any other day so if you're ready turn to Zechariah chapter 6 in your Bibles if you have it I want to talk about this right here, verses 1 through 8. The four chariots of God. How about that? Well, we're going to talk some stuff today. I'm telling you what, Zechariah has so much stuff in it. It's blowing me I'm going to put a scripture up towards the end that ought to make us all think. How did God know that there would be weapons like that whenever uh, Zechariah was writing this book over 2,500 years ago? But in... In Zechariah 1, when we began this about five or six weeks ago, it says in chapter 1 and verse 6 that just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. So that means that the Lord has put things out there. And according to how we make decisions over that, those things, that's what is then determined to us according to our ways and our deeds and so he will deal with us and one day the Lord of hosts will deal not only with every nation like we're talking about in these verses but also with each individual because it says in the book of Hebrews that it is appointed unto all of us once to die and then after this the judgment so it's just a fact of life. I have never met a Methuselah yet that was 900 and some years old right now saying, hey, I'm not going to leave, leave this world. I'm going to make it. 
The only way that we will do that is when the Lord comes to receive us. And that day when that last trump sounds and the dead in Christ rise first. And then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the air. And thus shall we always be in the presence of the Lord. Other than that one day it is appointed unto the rest of us that it, we will have to die. And after that the judgment. And so if you'll remember in chapter 1. The first glimpse that we got of the Lord was, remember he was the rider on the red horse that was sitting among the myrtle trees. You remember that? And that started this whole string of visions. That was the first vision that was given to Zechariah when he saw that. And we determined that that meant that no matter where I'm at in life, whether I was on the, the top of the mountain or if I'm in the valley right now, and they were in the valley, they were at the lowest point of Judah's history, and it didn't matter where it was, what that message was saying was that the Lord and his servants, the angels, are watching over everything that's going on with the nations and with the peoples. And so that he, they're all going to and fro all the time, it said, seeking out. You know what they're counteracting? Who else goes to and fro seeking whom he may devour, Peter said. Satan, the devil. So he goes to and fro seeking whom he might try to devour. Well, guess what? The Lord says, uh -uh, I'm countering that. Checkmate, I'm sending my angels out going to and fro. And you're not going to touch those that are marked with my mark that says that they are mine. And that's, that's another reason that you want to be in Christ Jesus and make that decision for him to be your Savior and Lord. And then because of his work upon the cross... We saw in chapter 3, Joshua the high priest. Do you remember that? How that Joshua was brought forth by the hand by Satan into the throne room of God and said, look at this guy, a sinner. Look at his garments. They're, they're just filthy with all of this stuff. And you remember what the Lord said to him? He said, I rebuke you, Satan. You know why? Because whenever you are in Christ and you are covered by the blood of the Lamb, those things are forgiven. So whenever he tries to bring you up and say, look at this person and look what they've done, the Lord says, hmm, they're in me. They've been covered my, by my blood. This is a personal issue between me and my father. And here's what I say, Satan. You leave town and then remember he said, put on the, the new clothes. Bring him the robe, bring him the crown, and let him know that he is in Christ. It's, he told Satan, this is one that was like a brand that was plucked from the fire. That's every one of us. All of us are as like brands plucked from the fire as we are in Christ. And then we saw in chapter 4, you remember that wonderful vision of the two olive trees and the branches that came down and flowed the oil into the bowl reservoir over the, the candelabra of God that had the seven golden lamps in there and it was burning. And, and we saw the things that that represented. It represented Joshua and Zerubbabel as they was going out to reestablish the nation. They was coming out of this captivity and this low point that they were in. But it also represents like us. We saw that the church in Revelation chapter 1 is like the seven golden candlesticks. The, the same thing that represented God's people in the Old Testament inside that tabernacle and inside that temple. That's what we are as the church. What was it? It was the only light that was on the inside. The only light that this world has is you and I right now as the ambassadors of Jesus Christ into this world. 
to take that gospel of good news to every creature so that they might be saved. And it says we, we studied there how that what the priests did and, and you and I are a kingdom of kings and priests. It says in the book of Revelation and in the book of Peter in his epistle. He said that God has made us to be unique people. We are priests and kings unto him. And so as a priest, you know what you do with that light that you have? It says that they would go in morning and night and make sure that your, your bowl, your vessel was full of oil. That means that you've, you've still got that Holy Spirit and the Word of God going in you and that you would trim your wick, that you'd make sure your life was in alignment so that that light would never go out because God says, I don't ever want the light to go out inside of my house. And so we are that. And every day, morning and night, we should be examining ourselves and saying, Lord, trim my wick. Lord, fill me with that anointing of that oil. Let me be a light that burns and let me put it on top of a stand instead of under a barrel. No, you remember that song for VVS? Uh, this little light of mine, you're going to let it shine. Do you put it under a bushel? No, remember that? No, I'm going to let it shine. Well, that's what we saw in there. And then, man, we spent a couple of weeks in, in Zechariah 5. And you talk about some crazy stuff. Leroy, can I tell the tale on you? Okay. You know, we studied for three weeks there on uh, Zechariah chapter 5. And we was talking about that there was the, the scroll that came out and was flying and how the dimensions of it was. And then we saw the basket and that the angel said that the basket represented something. And then he opened the lid and pulled out. There was a woman inside the basket. And he shoved the woman. He said, this is wickedness. And shoved her back in and put the lid back on it. And then two women with wings like of a stork came and grabbed that basket. And picked it up between heaven and earth. And then carried it off to the land of Shinar for its appointed time to be set up as a base again. And we covered all that. And Leroy, bless his heart, was going home and telling all of his family the story. And they said, well, that ain't in the Bible. <laughs> so he called me up and said, where was that? And I said, Zechariah chapter 5. So they've been reading it. And because, man, this is the word of God. And this is some exciting stuff, isn't it, Leroy? It's exciting. And it's like, I've never dreamed of stuff like that. Well, that's how you know it's the Word of God. And that's how you know that when he says this is happening, that it's, it's happening. And the thing of it is, is it happened in that time, and there's a duality of reality there, because every physical thing that we read in the Scriptures, and especially that Old Testament, because every page spoke of Christ. I had another one of my brothers talk to me this week and says, you know what, for the first time, I am seeing Christ on every page in the Old Testament now. Every time I read about these things, and man, I'm going to have to preach one of the sermons that he told me about, because he was talking about um, the, the city of refuge, and how that's like Christ. You know, we do something that's wrong and it's unintentional. And that was where they would, if they accidentally manslaughtered somebody by accident, well, the next of kin was coming after you. They wanted blood. That's the next of blood and they're going to come after you. Well, if it was innocent, you run to that city of refuge and they would uh, say, okay, they would make a judgment on it. It was 
in, in innocence like that, and you had to stay inside that city of refuge. Because if you left it, then that next of kinsman, if he was watching and you left, then he would, would still try to take revenge upon you. And that's like us in Christ, isn't it? It says, every time that we have a wrong, and we don't really mean to, we run to him, and we find that refuge in him, and don't leave because the enemy is always on the outside of that city of refuge waiting to do something to you. And that's like what we've seen in, in Zechariah chapter 5. That wickedness is being sent off, waiting to happen sometime. So everything that happened in Zechariah's day, and this is going to take place around 518 to 516 B.C., it did happen. And what God's Word says is that if it happened when I told you it was going to happen, the duality of it is, is there's another spiritual meaning for all of this at the end of time. And if my word was true then, then its reflection of what's going to happen at the end of time is also true. Since it came to pass there, that is my word, and I cannot go back upon my word. So what I have said will happen in the end time that is a reflection of that is also going to happen as well. And so now we're going to break some new ground in Zechariah 6 because we're getting ready to come up to that last vision and the last vision of Zechariah is going to kind of move on from the very first one where we saw the rider on the red horse and all of the other horses was there with him going out to and fro. We're going to be talking about horses again and chariots this time. So if you're there with me in Zechariah 6, let's start in verse 1. And it says, Then I, and that's Zechariah speaking, he says, I turned and raised my eyes and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. And with the first chariot, there were red horses. And with the second chariot, there were some black horses. And the third chariot had the white horses. And with the fourth chariot, there was dappled horses and strong steeds. And then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And I say, good question. I want to know that too. And he's, the angel answered me and said, These are four spirits of heaven. And these four spirits are going out. They are going out from heaven from their station before the Lord of the whole earth. And the one with the black horses, he's going to the north country. The white horses are following after him. The dappled horses are going towards the south country. And then, verse 7, the strong steeds went out eager to go, that they might walk to and fro throughout the earth. And then he said, go and walk to and fro throughout the earth. And so they did. They walked to and fro throughout the earth. And he called to me and spoke to me and saying, see, those who go toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country. Man, you all want to know what's, what's all contained in here? You want to uncover it? Well, we didn't pray in, so let's pray over this word and see how the Lord and the Holy Spirit is going to anoint us with it today. And Father, we have just had the reading of your holy word. Father, your word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It has amazing abilities behind it. And Father, we know that your word also contains the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, but also to us. 
the, the Greeks and the Gentiles so that we might be saved. So Father, this day, you knew before time that we would be studying this section of Scripture that was written by one of your servants through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These are your words, it says in Timothy, that are God-breathed through, through your instruments that you used us as your vessels, as your servants. You used them for your word to be God-breathed through them to us. And you knew that we would be studying this. And Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of your word is ever going to be misplaced. It, is, it will live and abide forever. And he was going to establish every word of it and it will come true. And so, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit to be in here with us this day. The Spirit that is within us, that those who believe and have that gift of the Holy Spirit that was your seal and your mark as we studied, that you mark those that are yours with him and he now lives within us. We pray that the Spirit will make alive and make real your word unto us this day so that we can be edified, so that we can build, be built up in faith and build a strong foundation upon which we stand and your word become the anchor to our soul. But also, Father, we pray that our study, we pray that our worship and every point of being goes to exalt and glorify you because we are here really for one purpose, and that is to praise and worship you. And so, Father, we thank you for your Son. And we thank you for your spirit that's in us. And we thank you for your word that guides us. And we pray that it will this day and exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, what's going on in this vision of these horses and chariots? Well, let's try to look behind it because you see what I found out. Whenever I was looking at the Hebrew language, that original language, I found out that they realized that the word of God was in patterns. That whenever you see a pattern, it usually continues all the way through. So words and meanings and different things are a pattern that goes all the way through time and history from the word of God. So this is a pattern that not only took place in the physical realm in 518 B.C., but it's a pattern that spiritually and physically goes on all the way through the end of time until the Lord comes back and this world is blown up. Several times throughout history, these things will occur just like these horses going out. And in verse 1, as we go back up to it, Zechariah is a good student because it almost looks redundant, doesn't it? It says there in verse 1 that I turned, I raised my eyes, I looked, and behold. I mean, it's almost like he's being redundant, but he's not. Because if you think about it, He's making a study and he turns because whether he hears or realizes something's there, he turns to take a look at it. And he says, I turned and I looked at it. I raised my eyes to be able to see it and I looked at it and then behold. So you see, he was studying it. He was in a deep study and he was trying to, to make sense out of what he saw. And the first part of it, the, the physical message he saw because he realized horses, chariots, colors. So he could see those. He don't know what they mean yet, spiritual application, but he just realizes that he sees these things. The chariots, I want you to know this. Chariots are the tanks, the, the armored vehicles of the Old Testament, of the Old World. They're like our armored uh, tanks and things in the weapons today, 
That's what these things were. Chariots were, were just phenomenal when they came out and they changed the way wars were fought. And chariots all kind of look the same, kind of like your little cars today. I mean, when we was growing up, you know, I'm old enough to go there now. When we was growing up, you could tell the difference between a Ford or a Chevy or an Oldsmobile or a Pontiac, couldn't you? Or, or a Chrysler. I mean, you could tell the difference in those things. Today, all of those little cars driving by, they all look like they're cut out of the same cookie. And you're trying to look for the little emblems on it. The only thing different about the little cars are the what? Colors. And that's the way these chariots are. All of the chariots have the same distinctions. It's going to have the place where you stand in it and ride. And it's going to have the iron wheels on it so that it can be mobile. But it has to have a form of propulsion. And that's where it starts getting different because they're going to use horses. But each chariot has a different colored of horse. And so that's where the key is as we get ready to unlock all of these little things in it. So the horses are... I made this up so don't laugh. They're special horses for special forces of God. They're the special forces of God. You know, this is, this is like your Green Berets. This is like your Airborne Rangers. These are the special forces that are getting ready to go out. And he's getting ready to call them up into duty. Each one of their colors could either represent a branch of the service or like... The army, the navy, the air force, the marines. And these are like the seals and the rangers that are coming up. And so each one of them has a special purpose. And there's a pattern behind it. Next week, at the end, I'm going to give you some previews of coming attractions. But next week, we will take this into Revelation 6. Because guess what happens when you start popping the seals? The same kind of horses are being revealed in it. It's because it's a pattern. It's a pattern that goes throughout the Bible. So what we learn from these, we apply to what's going to affect us in that day. So these are the special forces with a purpose of service. And then some are guardian angel types. You know, in Psalm 91, that's a blessed psalm of protection. And I hope that you study it often. I hope you pray over it with uh, yourself and with your family. One of these days, I'll just have to take some psalms and, and show you some of the things I do. Whenever I was in Kairos, I would pray these psalms. The, what we had to write to the prisoners, it would usually be psalms, and it would be a prayer through those psalms to those, to those men. Whenever I pray through the psalms, I'll pray something like this. Lord, I have ran to you as my refuge. You are the most high God. I want to dwell with you Lord with the rest of my life now and forever and I pray then Lord that no evil will befall me because I am in you Lord I pray that no plague will come near to my dwelling or my family you see how you pray these things over yourself from the word of God and so here we see in this psalm that it's talking about angels that are among us because a person, this is a promise and a proclamation from God, that whenever a person makes the Lord Jesus Christ his refuge, even the Most High God is my dwelling place, then he says, no evil can befall me. And even though it might in this physical life, it won't in the spiritual. No evil will be able to take me away. Not any plague come near my dwelling. Verse 11, 4. 
He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. And I'm going to tell you something else. Who knows scripture? And that's the devil. You know where this scripture is repeated in the New Testament? Matthew chapter 4 in the temptations of Jesus. The second one that's recorded there says that he took Jesus up to the top of the pinnacle of the temple. That's way up there. And it's over the valley. We're going to talk about the valley here in a minute too. But he's way over this valley. Some say it was like 400 and some feet. And he says, if you be... That's a whole nother lesson. But ifs in the Bible, there's like three to four different ways an if can be used. And it's by how it's used with the writing, whether it's a first, second, or third conditional if. One can be if, and I know it's true, because how many times do you say, well, if that's so, then this is going to happen. So if and it's true, and then there's an if and it's not true. Boy, I wish that you would come. If you would come, I would do this, but I know you're not going to come. So there's an if, but it's not true. And then there's an if that is subjunctive, which means it's your choice. Just like today, today is the day of salvation. If you come to Christ, that's your choice. Whether you will or not depends upon you. But God has already made it firm. He is the Son of God and has provided all that. So there's, that's a first class conditional one. If, and it is true, he's the Son of God. If, subjunctive, you choose, then you also will be saved. So this, whenever Satan comes to Jesus and says, if you be the Son of God, he knows he is. I mean, this is the guy who threw him out of heaven with the angels that rebelled with him. He was the cherub that was anointed and surrounding that throne of the Lord. He knows that it is him, and this is the first class. I know that you're supposed to say that you're the Son of God. He's rubbing it in his face. And he says, but if you are, then you're standing on top of here. You can throw yourself down and he will catch you and no harm will. And you will prove it to me that way because of this here. It says that his angels will take charge over you and will catch you lest you would dash your foot against the stone. Now I'm going to give you a warning about those who take scriptures out of context and twist them. You see, Satan knows the word. Some of his ministers who act like ministers of light also are inspired by him to know the word and to know how to twist it to make what seems to be scripture, but they're using it out of context or in an improper way. And so that Satan used that in the temptation as an improper way. You do not tempt the Lord thy God, Jesus would tell him. Yeah, unintentional things, God is there to take you. And to help you. And you got guardian angels around you for certain things. There's been times that I knew I couldn't drive between those two things. And it's almost like things went blank and I was on the other side. I know that the Lord has ways of dealing with you. But you do not listen to people who twist scriptures the wrong way like Satan did. And tries to apply things that are not in the way that they were meant. He said, go ahead and throw yourself off. God's bound to have to, to do it because his word said it. And Jesus said, no, you don't tempt the Lord thy God in that way. And so Satan had to continue on. So he, it was used in the fact that angels are out there watching over us. In the book of Hebrews, not only was that there, but in the book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, we're told something else. 
it says there that are not all angels ministering spirits that were sent to serve for the sake of those who what? Inherit salvation. So there are angels who are, we call them guardian angels, that are ministering spirits that their purpose, what they are called to do is to serve for the sake of those who are in Christ Jesus who are to inherit salvation. Now there's the second reason why I would want to be in Christ that we've already talked about today, right? Because that means I got angels that are watching over me. Not only that, I've probably interacted with some at some point. This same book in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2 says this, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for so by doing some have what? Right. You've entertained angels unaware. There's a stranger, never seen them before. All of a sudden they pop in. It says, be hospitable to them. Because you might not even know if that's one of the angels that's sent around about you. For some have entertained angels unaware. One of the people that did that was Abraham. We studied him about a year and a half ago on Wednesdays. Chapter 15 of Genesis 16, 17, 18, 19 through there. Whenever things was going rough, he was sitting in the tents of Mamre. And here come three men. It was the Lord Jesus Christ and two angels. He immediately got up, said, told Sarah, get some things ready. And he went out and told the servants to get some things ready. And he was hospitable to those. And he found out that they were angels. And he hadn't been aware of it. And it was the Lord. And they were getting ready to go down to Sodom to see what was going. But it says to you and I, this is New Testament Hebrews, that angels are ministering spirits for our sake and to show hospitality to strangers because you might be entertaining an angel unaware. So there are guarding angels, there are ministering spirits, and I want you to remember that word spirit as in regard to angels because it's going to come up in a second, and that's why I put it here. So yes, these things are there. Uh, They are there to protect us and help us, and in a moment we're going to see how that these chariots of the Lord's army are going to be hooked up and pulled by these different colored horses each representing the special forces in the battalion. Go ahead and give me the next one, Miss T. Thank you. Uh, these horses are called four spirits. Now, what did we just say in Hebrews that spirits were? Angels. So these are ministering spirits. So whenever it says the angels are ministering spirits, so these horses, the horses are just a picture to represent something then. They're symbolic. And so what are they symbolic of? The angels of God that's getting ready to go out and move. That's his special forces. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the army. And so we just saw that. So we've got four chariots being pulled by at least four different colors of horses going out from their station, their base of operation. My base of operation when I went in at first was Fort Gordon, Georgia. And then you finish up right there, they're going to send you to another base. And from that base, if a war is getting ready to happen and you get called to active duty, guess where you go? You go present yourself before the battalion commander. You're at the base, you're in that presence, and he's going to tell you where you're going to go, isn't he? And what you're going to do. And that's what we see right here. That's what's happening with these these horses and these chariots. Verse 1 begins to tell us and give us a clue about what they're getting ready to do. It says that they are called into active duty. They are coming, these four chariots are coming from between two mountains. 
And the two mountains are made of bronze. So bronze is our first clue. Do you know what bronze represents? It represents the things that are tried by fire. You see, if, if, you, do, if you temper steel the wrong way and, and overheat it and don't uh, temper it right, it can, can become very brittle and it can break and crack easily. But you take copper and tin and zinc and you mix it together and make bronze or brass. Brass has the unique ability of handling fire and handling it well and holding its strength and not becoming brittle and not letting fire have anything to do with it. So what happens is then, that's what the brazen altar was made out of. Whenever the priest would take those lambs and offer them up onto the altar as a burnt offering for the sins. It was on a brazen or a bronze altar. So that represents like the judgment of God over those sins that was being offered up on that. So bronze comes about to mean the judgment of God. The, the things that can be tried by fire. It's, it's the judgments of God. In Revelation 1 when Jesus comes his feet are like fiery brass. Because in some points he comes as the one who is the lion of the tribe of Judah with brazen feet. So whenever you see that, that means we're getting ready to talk about something in terms of a judgment that's going to come out. So these chariots are getting ready to be instructed because God's judgment is coming out from between his two mountains. Most people think that what he's talking about there is the Mount of Olives and... Um, the the Mount Zion. So I stuck a picture up there for you. Because you can see the Temple Mount, Mount Zion is on one side and the Mount of Olives is on the other side and it's the Kidron Valley that runs through. These horses are coming from between the two mountains down through the valley. And if those were bronze mountains and we're talking about judgment, then this also makes sense because you know what the Kidron Valley was? That's the valley that one day is going to flow red from, from the blood of those that the, that the lamb is coming back in Revelation 19 in those places. It's going to flow. It says that the, it'll be up to horses' bridles for I, I forget how many miles. Like it, It's over 100 miles that it'll be like that. So the Kidron Valley is also called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat means Jehovah judges. That's a, a dual word. Jehoshaphat is Jehovah judges. And so that's what it is. But this Kidron Valley, every time one of the kings was a good king, and they would go and tear down what was called the groves where the idol worship took place and where all the groves up there for all of their... The, the false worship that they did. I won't get graphic with it. But just trust me that this was a reproach unto God. Well every time there was a good king. And they tore down all of those groves of these poles that was up there. They would burn them in this valley. And spread the ashes in this valley. As the judgment of God coming against those false gods. And those who worship the false gods. So it makes perfect sense of everything that's getting ready to happen in this chapter whenever we see these chariots are coming from between the two mountains and the mountains are of bronze. And uh, so the Lord now is sending out his special operation warriors 
in armored vehicles to rend judgment upon certain areas that are deserving of it. And the message of the prophets to the Jews at that time that were still in Shinar, and still in Babylon, where they had been taken into captivity by now, they had been kind of released. They've, most of them didn't go back. Only some went back at the first time. They stayed there. They started having homes that were great, and they started having their businesses and prospering like they do wherever they're at. So when the word was coming, get out of Babylon because my judgment is getting ready to come against it, they would say, no, life's good. I mean, I'm glad that people don't do that today when we tell them, hey, you need to come out of the world and come into Christ and to get away from all of that stuff. What happens? No, I'm okay right now. It's all good. Everything's going good. I, I, one day, whenever I'm ready, I will. Well, that's what they were saying. Those who are hanging on are going to come underneath the same judgment because they're not going to be in the geographical location God wants them to be. He wants them to be in his house. What does he say in the book of Revelation? He says in Revelation 18.4, which this is a picture of, this is that duality I was telling you about that we will be studying a little bit with next week. But in 18.4 in Revelation, the Lord says, Come out of her, my people, for Babylon has fallen. It has fallen. And so he was telling them, come out of her. And the prophets are doing the same thing. Like I said, this is just a pattern that goes throughout. Some stayed. And they stayed there. Their life was good. Because you see, Babylon and those hanging gardens and the beauty was part of the seven wonders of the world, wasn't it? I mean, this was a beautiful, great place. And now they were prosperous. Why should I go back to Jerusalem where everything had been torn down and everything is overgrown? Why do I want to go back there when this is beautiful? You see, we got to be called out of that world system and go back and rebuild the place of God and how it's supposed to be. The lure of the world kept him there. And his words fell on deaf ears. And the pleasures of Babylon made them stay where they were at. And it seems that unfortunately so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of God. So now we have these four chariots. Now four chariots is the, the um, four is the number of completeness. Like the four cardinal directions. North, south, east, west. It, it means a coverage of everything. So we got the four chariots. They're getting ready to come out from between the two mountains of Olive and Zion. That's the Lord's house. So where's headquarters of operation? Where the Lord's house was. That's where the headquarters is at. Where did we see last week that Satan's base camp's going to be set up at? Right where they're at, Shinar, remember? It says that they lifted up that basket of wickedness and put it to set on its base in the land of Shinar. So you see, we're supposed to be the Lord's. So we are in the Lord's house and in his geographical location. And wickedness is set up in the land of Shinar. That's getting ready to set the operation of good versus evil and wickedness in that battle. In verse 2 of Zechariah 6. We get that coded message of the battle plan. Verse 2 says... That the first chariot was red horses. And we'll go in more detail next week from, from even looking at what Revelation 6 says. If I, if I took you there this week, we'd be here a long time. So I'm sparing you and we're going we're gonna to cover it next week, Lord willing. But the first chariot, red horses. Red usually means war, bloodshed. 
the, the writer in Revelation takes away peace from the earth. The second chariot, black horses. Black horses represent economic depression. It represents famine. But what causes economic depression and famines? How about runaway inflation and sanctions? I'm glad none of these things are happening in the world today. The third chariot, white horses, represents victory and triumph in the conquest. And the fourth chariot had dappled or spotted horses. And I know some of you have horses here. I'm going to show you a beauty now because that means when it was speckled, uh, it, the word actually means like hill spotted. Have you ever had a car out in a hill storm and seen it all dented up all over the place? That's kind of what this word means on grizzled or speckled or spotted. It's like hail spotted. Look at that beautiful thing right there. I know you can't see really well all the colors, but he's got white. He's got black legs. He's got black on his face and neck. He's got a black mane and tail. But on his rump and on his spots, he's got red. And so this is a dappled horse. This is the horse that represents in one package all three colors. You know, you've got one of the chariots with red, one with white, and one with black. And then you got the dappled. This is like probably, it says in a minute, and they were strong steeds. So he's got a little bit of all of these special forces tied up in him. He's got the red, white, and the black. He, he's got the whole package with him. And I think he's an Appaloosa right there. But isn't he beautiful? That was some of them that was hooked up. So um, now... After all of these crazy visions and after seeing these chariots and horses, Zechariah says, I see that, but what do they mean? Tell me, what does all of this mean? What are these, my Lord, he says. And that's a good question, we said. What, what does it represent to me? So in verse 5, the, the teaching angel begins to respond to him and he says, they are four spirits. So now we know from what the foundation we laid that these are, are angelic beings, that these Four chariots with the different colored horses. Each represents angels that are getting ready to be sent out throughout the world. And that, that's why we, we covered that. These are the armored divisions now that's going to get ready to go out in all the world. To make sure that God keeps his word. You know as I was studying this I got to thinking. Isn't it marvelous how that if God has made a promise to any one of us. That he might have to call a legion of angels in to keep that promise just for you and I. Because we're in Christ Jesus. You know, we sing a song sometimes. There's a song about ten, he could have called 10,000 angels. He was on the cross, Jesus was. And they said, if, if you be the son of God, just call and you'll come down. You know, he could have called 10,000 angels. It only took one angel to just wipe out that entire place. But he hung up on there because he loved us so. But when he makes a promise to you and I. Even if he has to call out his special forces to keep that promise. He will because God cannot lie. And when God makes you a promise. He's going to keep that promise for you. No matter what it takes. He'll mobilize the special forces in order to keep a promise that he makes. Because he is always watching over his word. To keep it. He, and it says here. They're getting called out. All, all of these spirits. And it says from their duty stations. From which they stand. Oh, wait a minute. Did I skip something? 
Yeah, keep me right there for a second, Miss T. Um, so he's, it says there that he is the Lord of all the earth at the end of verse 5. Who has control of the earth really right now? I know God does, but who has like usurped authority in it since the garden? Satan has. Even Jesus called him the, the prince of this world. Okay, he wants to keep it whenever on those temptations we talked about a while ago, whenever he offered Jesus all, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Remember that? And he said, all of these could be yours if you'll just bow down and worship me. And he says, you're not going to worship anybody but the Lord thy God. That wouldn't have been a temptation if it wasn't a valid offer. If he didn't have charge of all the kingdoms of the world, it wouldn't have been a valid temptation to Jesus. He'd have said, huh, you don't own nothing. But, he, but he's the prince of this world at the moment. So when you see that they stand before the Lord of all the earth, we're talking about an end time scenario. We're talking about millennial reign type things. It's talking about when God does reclaim possession of his world. So these are before, the, you see, we're looking to the future of what's going on too as long as well as what's going on here before the Lord of, of all of the earth so that was a pattern then and it's a pattern it's going to happen in um, in the end you remember we started out in chapter 2 that they had the man with the measuring rod and they're going to rebuild uh, the the temple again and that there was going to be a wall of fire around them to protect them while they were in the business of building the temple and then the wall around the city well, in Revelation 11.1, 1, it says this. John says, I was given a measuring rod and told to rise and measure the temple of God. That's Zechariah 2. 11.4 in Revelation. These are the two olive trees and the lampstand standing before the God of earth. That's Zechariah 4 and 6 that we've just, you see, it's a pattern. It's a future. But 11.15 of Revelation says that the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdom of our Lord God and Christ and he shall reign forever. We're, these are standing before the Lord of all the earth. It's, it's looking forward to this time and the battle's getting ready to take place. Where are they marching off to? Verse 6. The black horse is going to the north country and white ones are going to follow. So you've got black, you've, you've got famine, you've got runaway inflation. You've got supply chain issues because you have nothing. And the white horse, victory and conquest, is following him. You know where the north country is? Who's represented by the north country? Gog, Magog, so it's who? Russia, it's Turkey, Russia, all of those. Yeah, all of those from the north, but also the Middle East because of, because of the geography to the south is a desert and then you have the uh, Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. So anyone from Babylon and Iraq, um, Iran, if they want to come to Jerusalem, they have to go north around that to come down from the north to come to Jerusalem. So whenever it talks about the north country, it's all of these folks coming in against them. So the first two horses are going out to face the north country, Russians, Europeans, Turks, the Middle East headquartered in Shinar at Babylon. And they're getting ready to come out and do the battle. Now the, uh, the other horses, the dapple horses of all the colors, they're going to the south country. 
South is represented usually by Egypt and Edom. And on Wednesday nights, that's right where we're at is Edom, which was Esau and his people. And that's going to be the people that Ezekiel and Jeremiah says that he's coming after at the very end. It's the, the children of Edom. So here these multicolored horses are being sent that way, along with the strong steeds. And I really like this because there's some strong steeds that separated away from the dappled horses. And verse 7 says that the strong steeds will also be going to and fro throughout the earth. And it says that they're eager to go to and fro and walk to and fro. Why are they eager? Why do you think these strong steeds are eager to walk to and fro throughout the entire earth? Yes, they're watching over God's people. They're protecting God's people from what's happening around them with the other horses. And also, you know what else happens whenever there's war, famine, pestilence, and all of these things start happening in the world? People get a little scared, don't they? And then what happens? People who didn't know Christ start to what? No, they, they start to come to him. The people who knew Christ but was just kind of iffy on that little rail like he said, I wished you were hot or cold but not lukewarm. Well, kind of us lukewarm ones kind of get a little hotter too in all this. You see, God, although God doesn't want all of these things to happen, but when they happen, he does the Romans 8.28 thing where it says, I can take all things and work them together for good to those who love the Lord. So those who are turning to the Lord because of these things, those who are moving that way that have never named Him, and those who have been lukewarm, now they can become hot. And so now they can be guarded and they can be brought into the kingdom. So these horses are eager. They're the strong ones that can withstand the enemy attacks and can prevent all of those things. Whenever uh, in the book of Daniel, whenever Daniel was praying and for 21 days he's praying and fasting like, where are you at, Lord? It's one of the angels, Gabriel, finally came to him and said, man, I tried 21 days ago, but I withstood by the prince the, the high-ranking angel of the demon side prevented me from getting to you. And I had to call on Michael, the archangel, who looks over and protects your people. He was the strong angel. You see, God has strong angels that are looking out over those things that are happening. And so these strong ones are taken care of. Like Ron said, those, the people that are his and the people that are coming to him. And they're eager to do it. They're like, yes, give me that chance to go out there and to do this. And they're eager to get going with it. So on the one hand, you got these judgments going out. But on the other hand, you got people coming to Christ because of those things. And so they're eager to, to do that. And the Lord's using it for good to those that love him. That's the, I call them the salvation steeds, the strong salvation steeds. And uh, he sends them out. And the word of God is coming through. And in verse 8, the angel called to Zechariah one more time, kind of like a finality of things. And he says this, he called to me and said, look at those who are going to the north country. They have given my spirit rest. They have given my spirit rest. That just sounds so quaint, doesn't it? You know what he's really saying? They're taking care of business. Because what happened in the days of Noah you remember in that 120 years while the ark was preparing, God says, 
I have looked out over the land and the land is nothing but wickedness and evil and everything that's going on. And my spirit shall not always what? Strive with man. My spirit will not always strive with man, but his days are going to be up till the flood 120 years. That's not how old people are going to get at that time. It was talking about in 120 years the flood will come. My spirit is going to be striving with mankind for that 120 years. But it's not always going to because at that point I'm taking care of business. And that's what he's saying here. When I send them out for that last time, they're going to take care of business. And my spirit will find rest at that point. So that's what he's trying to tell them. That man, this is the last shot. This is it. If you don't come now, it's going to be over. He's going to take care of business and my spirit will have rest you know what the work of the holy spirit is in our lives you know what his work is in these times and in these days jesus said i gotta go away in john chapter 16 he was telling his disciples i tell you the truth it's to your advantage that i go away why lord they're saying why we want you to stay with us why would you say that it's good for us if you go away and he says if i go not away the helper the holy spirit the comforter He will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And he's got three jobs to do in this world because what's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life? Trust in God to come to Christ. So that's his mission. He's got threefold mission. Verse 8, when he comes, he is to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Why? Verse 9. Of sin, because they haven't believed in me. So his first job is to try to convict us of sin and that we need a Savior and to believe in him. Of righteousness, because I've went to my Father. That means the power of God has raised him up from that cross and from death and that same power can be worked in us and it's to prove to us that righteousness of Jesus can be applied to us when it comes. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God through Christ. So of righteousness, because in Christ you could get rid of sin, become righteous, and of judgment. Because uh, I have went to the Father, and there's a judgment coming, and the ruler of this world is going to be judged. So that's the threefold work of the Holy Spirit right now. And that's what these angels are going out doing and looking for, those who will accept this message. And he's striving with man up till the time when he will be taken away from this world so that the, the evil can break loose in that final day of, of the seven years of that wrath and trial. Second Thessalonians 2, I think we covered it last week, but as a reminder, it said that the Holy Spirit is what restrains sin and destruction by man caused to each other and by man and Satan in this world. And he will restrain it until he is taken out of way to make way, it says, for the son of perdition or the Antichrist to come. And then really all wickedness will break loose. So what we've learned this week in our continuing revelation of the patterns of God working in us and in his creation. These four chariots are like the armored vehicles. They're angelic forces commanded by the Lord Jesus, who's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the army. They are powered by different colors of horses that represents different roles, different purposes 
of God so that his promises and his word becomes two. We got the Red Horse Brigade, infantry angels over bloodshed, crimes, war, nations, people. The Black Horse Brigade, infantry angels in charge of the different economies, the supply chains, the inflations and famine of the world, the blessing and the cursing. The White Horse Brigade is made up of the infantry angels that will be there for the wrapping up of conquest and victory and the rule of God. And the Dappled Horse Brigade, that, those spotted horses, they're made up of infantry angels with the top, like the seals from all of them, they come together and these are the top of the top and they become the strong angels too. They're the strong brigade that goes forth in the midst of all of these eagerly searching and helping God's people and bringing those to Christ that will. Now, part of what, what we're going to, as we move through here, I, I just had to post this one from Zechariah 14, another preview of coming attractions. Give me that next slide, Miss T. There you go. Look at what it says in Zechariah 14 as we get ready to end this book. That's where we're leading to, to the end of not only this book, but the end of time. It says in, in chapter 14, verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. So what's everything getting to be a pattern for it? That day of the Lord. And it's coming sooner rather than later. Your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem and that are coming against them. So all of these nations that are coming against God's people. We've been studying on Wednesday nights that if you curse Jerusalem and Israel, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be cursed. The Abrahamic covenant from 15, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. It's not our place to discipline Israel. That's God's people. And God will take care of Israel. Whether they need blessing or cursing. Nations do not need to curse them. Because you do. You are going to receive it back from God. He says. I will gather all the nations. That are coming to battle against Jerusalem. And the city shall be taken. The houses will be rifled. And the women ravished. There's another reason why. If you're a lady. That you want a strong military. You want a strong military that's going to protect your homeland so that this exact thing right here does not happen in your homeland because if you've ever studied war and you've ever studied nations and you know what happens whenever a communistic nation comes into a country and taking it over, you would not believe the horrific things that goes on and the word of God is telling you. You should be proud of the military and sponsoring it to be strong and to protect this country and the freedoms that we have. And half of the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall be, not be cut off. Then the Lord will go forth. Who's going to fight for Israel? The Lord. Everybody's always worried, oh, we got to do this. We got, I'm telling you, it's his people and he's going to take care of it, okay? The Lord is the one who will go forth and fight against these nations as if he fights in the day of the battle. There's a coming day when he's the only one. He's going to do it all. And in that day, now look at this. Remember those two mountains that we started with that the horses were coming from between the two? Well, in that day when he comes for that great fight, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be shaken and split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. What did we just say was right there? It's going to be another valley coming in right off of that mountain. 
And it says the Mount of Olives will be split in two. It's a large valley that will, when it splits, half of the mountain will move toward the north, half to the south. Where were the horses going? North and south, weren't they? So, then you shall flee through my mountain valley. Oh, I can't wait to take this one apart. Next slide. This is the one I had to add. Ooh, that's a horrible looking thing, isn't it? This is the word of God. Now look what I found here in chapter 14, verse 12 and 13. Because he's talking about that day of the Lord. And when he comes and steps on that mountain, verse 12. And it says, this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. You do not want to pitch your tent against Jerusalem. This is what will happen from the Lord, the plague to those who fought against Jerusalem. It says their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve within their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths and it shall come to pass in that day. How did Zechariah know to write about the Lord's weapons that is only in today's times are we even trying to develop weapons that can do such a thing as to dissolve a person and their eyes and their tongues and their bodies in a moment, in an instant, as they're standing in place. That is, then it says that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. I bet it would. I don't know about you, but that sounds like something that I want to avoid at all costs, don't you? I do not want to be caught up into something like that and that horrific. I don't even want to be caught up in any of those horses of famine and war and destruction. I kind of like my land of the free, home of the brave, worshiping God and having the freedom to do those things. I kind of like what we've got, but to do that, we have to pray. We have to be vigilant. We have to be warriors for the Lord. And also, we have to come to the Lord. I don't want to face any of those, and especially this last one. So now, a preview of coming attractions. <laughs> I found the one that looks like on the movie screen. <laughs> Next week, our coming attractions. Man, what does it look like when all of these things are about to take place? Jesus told us. What does it begin to look like when it's going to happen? How does this line up with the book of Revelation and those end times? What does it mean in Zechariah 6? We didn't get there yet. That's next week. See, coming attractions of 12 and 13. Do you know it says there that there's a man that's called the branch? Who do you think the branch is? And why would the word of God capitalize every letter of it? The, that there's going to be a man that's named the branch that shall branch out. And what does it say he does? Build the temple. So who's building the real temple? Okay. The Antichrist is going to have him to build a what though? Fake temple. So the one that the people are trying to clamor for, for this third temple that's going to be built, this is not going to be the one that's in that millennial reign of Christ when he comes. He's going to build his temple and set it up. This is going to be a fake temple that comes because this says that the branch shall branch out and build the temple of the Lord. Now whether he uses them or not, I don't know, but it looks like he's going to do it. Not us. We don't have the power over that. And then, has any of this stuff happened yet? I don't think that's happened. It, it's not. 
So you got to stay tuned much more next week. So please, talk to folks. You know, use what's going on in this world as an opportunity to strike up a conversation. If they talk about the prices that are going up on gasoline or upon our food, that's inflation. That's black horse. He's not running rampant yet, but he stuck his head out through the stall. I think he's getting bridled up. And if something don't stop him, he's going to come loose. But if they talk about that, they talk about the war that's going on over there. Bring the conversation around to, boy, with all these things, it's scary. And it, yeah, but you know, it's really talked about in the Word of God. And um, do you know the Lord? Are, are you worshiping anywhere? Are you getting yourself prepared? Because, you know, the Bible talks about these things and they're coming. And, and if that's the case... It's not going to be long before something happens, whether countries get judged or the Lord comes back, but something might be happening. Don't you think it's time to get your life right with God? So use the things that are in the news to bring the conversations back to what's important. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? What's your standing with Him? So as our praise team returns, Romans eight twenty eight again, don't have no fear of all of those things for those who are in Christ Jesus because he's promised that all those who love him, I will take all of these things and I promise to work them together for your good. And one of the things that's worked for together is good and salvation. And this thing motivates people sometimes unto God through salvation. John 16, remember that mission of our Holy Spirit of what he's supposed to do, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So, Andrew, go up and get the, the class upstairs, if you would, please. Because I pray this day that if you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you have not made that commitment unto him, I pray that in some way this day, I don't want you to leave here without knowing him and to being in Christ. I pray that the word of God has been alive and powerful, and it was the, the, the power of the gospel to convince you and to convict you that I need to do this this day. You know, that's what happened to a lady named Lydia right there in Acts 16. Paul had been preaching. She happened first, but because of what he said to her, and I'll come back to her, but because of what he said to her in verse 17 as he was preaching in another place, there was this woman who was a slave to these two guys who was using her to make money because she had this... Uh, evil spirit of being able to discern things and so she was using that to make them money they had taken her captive and using her to make money for him but whenever she saw Paul she said this it says that the girl that was possessed saw Paul and his friends and immediately cried out in verse 17 these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation and Paul freed her of that because she kept saying it over and over. And so he said, come out of her. And that spirit came out and those guys got mad because now the source of their income was gone. But it says she was saying, these are the men who've been preaching that. Well, what did they do just before that? She's talking about what just happened because you can't see it real well up there, it looks like. But uh, it says that they came down by the river where people were meeting together, where this group of ladies was coming to pray and to worship God. And a certain woman named Lydia heard us. There's the gospel message. She heard us. She was a seller of purple in the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. Now let me tell you something about that. 
If she worshipped God why, and she was, everything was alright, why did she have to do something else? Because there's a lot of folks say, oh, all I've got to do is that, and it's good. No, look what it says. She was a worshiper of God. She believed in God. She was worshiping God. But she heard the message of, of Paul, and it says that when she heard the things spoken of by Paul, verse 15, she and her household were baptized into Christ, and she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she persuaded us to stay. She heard the gospel of Christ. She was a worshiper of God, but she wanted to be in Christ. And so she decided that day, that very instant when she heard the gospel, to make that decision. And her and her household were baptized into Christ. So I pray this day that if you are not in Christ, that the things that we've talked about that's getting ready to go out across the world, that the Holy Spirit has used the word of God to convict your heart this day of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and you want to be in Christ. And Father, I pray a blessing over your word that we have just took apart this day. And, and, and Father, what a wonderful message that you, you give in there, warning and admonishing people to, to come to you. Today is the day of salvation. Father, I pray that your word's been powerful, that it will melt hearts, so that we won't be one day standing in that other thing that says that it melts us. I pray that the heart gets melted first. And that everyone comes to the Lord. And we, we desire to serve you in such a so much better way. And to be your light in these times of trouble. So that we can be like those strong horses. Protecting each other. And also leading others to Christ. And so Father, as we've worshipped you, we exalt you. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.